0: But what I did was I built a wall around myself Mm -hmm. and I said, you know, none of their emotions are going to get to me. I have to be like the strong one. And so none of like their tears cannot matter. You know, their words cannot matter. Like the fact that the doctors are saying my mom is going to die cannot matter. You know, Mm -hmm. the fact that my sister is not here cannot matter because if I let it matter, then I will crumble. I, I just, I just built a wall around me. And so I became very um, detached mm-hmm. from all of it, very detached from my parents, very detached from my siblings. I, and, and that's why I say like there's a lot of like pain, you know, mm-hmm. and suffering that I went through. But I chose to be strong. And so my way of being strong was detachment. For me, what I've learned through therapy and just growth in general the is that whole question of when we go there you is what we're going to find better than what you're leaving. I here. think men have a much harder time, mm-hmm. just culturally and, and gender-wise. I think men—I've never been, you know,
1: maybe. Hello true, there. True, true. I'm Yonka Kamara. Yeah, Welcome to Kume Turning Point Diaries, where we share stories of critical moments in our personal and professional lives.
0: I'm telling you this story, but I, I never ever 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 have to relive that story
1: again. you are supposed to be able to you know, work through it, play through it.
0: So I think that has been an issue.
1: This week we speak with Cielo Villa, a trailblazing entrepreneur with a bold vision to revolutionize college access. Cielo is the founder of Road to Uni a free online resource that acts as a supercharged, highly accessible college counselor open to all. In our conversation, she shares her fascinating, winding journey into entrepreneurship. Cielo details some of the most painful moments in her life which develop an inner fortitude to survive life's vicissitudes. She also talks about scaling her vision since winning the David Prize, a new philanthropic award that comes with a $200 cash no strings attached. Join us as we talk about resilience, inner fortitude, and creating a new path. Hi Cielo, welcome to Kume Turning Point Diaries. How are you? I'm doing so, so well. I'm so glad to be here with you. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you for many, many reasons, which we'll touch on. But one of them being, you know, the fact that I've known you since we were in high school and and just seeing you grow into this incredible woman, this trailblazing entrepreneur. And I'm just excited to have you talk about your journey, your you know, your social entrepreneur journey. So quickly, Cielo is the founder and CEO of Road to Uni, which is an, a free online resource that acts as a, you know, supercharge hyper-accessible college counselor, which many of us needed (laughs) growing up. (laughs) And she is also part of the inaugural class of David Price Winners, which grants trailblazing New Yorkers with progressive vision of improving the city. So I'm excited to have her and be in conversation with her today. So Cielo, tell us about Road to Uni.
0: Ah, Rozie Uni is so close to my heart. So it's something that I founded, mm. uh, maybe well in 2018. But it actually started as a private company. Okay. So what Rozie Uni is today um, is something that I've wanted to be since I started, but I didn't really have a chance to up until I won the David Price. In 2018, I started a an Instagram platform, mm. and back then in 2018. Even back in 2016, I had a tutoring company called C Prep, and everyone thought it stood for CLO Prep or CLOs <laughs> Prep, but it did not. It stood for College Guidance Preparation. So, C Prep actually had a physical location in you know, and in, in, I believe we signed a, a lease in 20. 20- I want to say 2017, Mm -hmm. but in 2016, all it was, was me gathering students, reaching out to people that I knew, reaching out to parents, telling them to reach their friends. And I gathered a class for SAT prep. And I remember... When I had my first class of maybe like 15 students, I want to say, I rented a basement classroom in a music school in Jackson Heights because I didn't have a physical location. So like I had the kids and I had the SAT prep, but I didn't have the location. <laughs> so this was all me figuring it out as I went, because just a month prior, I had quit my job. I had had a job, um, you know, for maybe seven months after I came back to New York after living in California for a little bit. And I remember lasting seven months. And after those seven months, I was just like, I cannot continue working here. Like I, and my my boss was amazing. Like he was really, I still talk to him. Um, We were really cool. And like, he, it was great, but I couldn't concentrate on what I had to do on my day to day because I kept dreaming about what I wanted to do for myself. And those dreams kept, you know, just holding me back from doing a good job. And I knew I wasn't a good employee, but I think I I quit around March. So I had a month to find students. And by April, I had my first class. And by April, I had also rented like a a classroom right in a basement in a music (laughs) school somewhere in Queens. And that was how C-PREP started. And little by little, of course, the classes grew. I, I rented other places. At one point, I was even working out of my parents' home, and tutoring students one on one, like it was growing organically. And then that's when I realized, like, okay, I need to find a legit place where we can call C prep, you know, mm-hmm. a, an actual tutoring center. So I signed a lease and all that. It was going well. It was going okay. And I remember feeling like, okay, like I can grow this, I can scale this, whatever. But it also seemed really, really hard for two reasons. Um, the first was that I'm not an organized person, <laughs> and if you've ever, if you've ever tried to run a tutoring business, you'll know that organization skills are like number one skills that you should have because you have to keep track of students, of tutors, of times, of who's available when, like you have to be on your A game. You have to be like a type A personality. Mm -hmm. And I was not that. So it was very hard for me to keep track of everything. And the other thing was that aside from, you know, tutoring, we also had, of course, college admissions help. And I was the college advisor who would take on private students. And if people needed like a, a deeper kind of advisory, I would charge for those things. Of course, it was all business. This is how I, you know, put food on the table for myself but I felt really guilty doing it and I just mm-hmm. felt like you know what like having charging to give people information and charging them to to give them information make them aware of resources is just not me like I felt guilty so I um kind of just said okay like I this perp thing is not feeling you know it's not feeling like the right thing I don't know what to do and then thankfully, a lot of the students that I've worked with have like students who had helped me in, in the tutoring center told me, hey, like, you know, Instagram, there's a lot of students on Instagram. Maybe you could reach them through there. And I was like, okay, like maybe I'll try, you know, this new thing. And and I'm not a very techy person. Like, <laughs> like, I'm not like, <laughs> I remember, taking, this is so embarrassing, but I remember taking like computer science 101 in college. And I legitimately thought they were going to teach me to use a computer because I was that bad. And then, of course, it was like, you know, coding, and I I almost failed that class. So it was so, so bad, and I'm just, like, not a tech person, so Instagram was a little hard for me to start, but I had the help of a student, and so she would tell me how you do a post. This is, you know, captions. You do hashtags. the stories, and and so like she was teaching me, and I, you know, I started and I I learned, and suddenly the Instagram account kind of took off. Like at first it was slow, there was no growth, and we were putting up posts about SATs and the dates and like informational stuff, and like people weren't liking, and I was like, what's going on? And then you know, little by little, I figured out different strategies on Instagram to like help my my account grow. And that summer it did grow. I think, I don't know, we hit maybe a thousand or something like that. I'm not sure, but it grew. And then you know, since I'd always helped students like write their essays, I started what I call now my essay challenges. Because I'd helped students before, if I just kind of structured my format of how I helped them write their personal statements, I could do it in a certain amount of time. Like it didn't, there was no reason why it had to take me months to help students do that. I could maybe do it in in 15 days, like two weeks. And so I came up with what I called um, 14-day essay challenge, and that became my first online product and I advertised it on the Instagram page that uh was now road to uni and suddenly you know over I think 48 hours I had made a thousand dollars and I was like holy <laughs> like I just made a thousand dollars on Instagram like whole like I you know I had read of like people making money online and make and I just didn't believe it because I was like how do you how do you do that? Like that must be really hard. But Through my essay challenges and, you know, less than two days, I had made a thousand dollars, which wasn't bad in my book. And so I was like, wow, I can really scale this because I love essay writing. I can help our students. I can still do Instagram posts, which will provide students with free information and resources. And any questions that they have, they can always ask me for free. I don't have to charge them like I would have through my tutoring service. And, you know, so I can do what I love for free, but I can also have something on the side that makes me money. And so that was a huge, huge milestone for me in terms of um, building a road to uni and what it's supposed to be is a free online website that will help students navigate the college admissions process with information, with resources and with personalized support, meaning that they'll be able to ask questions through a chat, kind of like Instagram DMs, Mm. and they'll be able to ask questions and someone or a real person behind, uh, behind those messages, we'll be able to answer them within 24 hours. It'll be real college advisors who will, who are, of course, experts in the college admissions process and who also, like myself, care very much about um, the advice that we give these students and, and how we guide them to make the best financial decisions also when it comes to, to choosing colleges and committing to colleges. I am... So excited for it because the vision of Road to Uni is honestly not, we're not there yet, but the vision and what's inside of my head um, is so vivid to me. And it's what propels me to kind of just keep going every single day, despite the setbacks, despite the obstacles, um, despite ever, anything really that, that comes in my way, which is a lot. <laughs> um, so so, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, my goodness. What a story. I could see how, you know, the program we were in in high school, mm-hmm. LIDA, Leadership Enterprise for a Diverse America, um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: must have really influenced. Right. It, it oh, my gosh. Provided so much support. LIDA is a national nonprofit um, organization committed to supporting um, high-achieving high school students from under-resourced backgrounds and giving them all the support that they need to attend and succeed at some of our nation's um, top colleges. And beyond that, it's really about diversifying the leadership pipeline, right? Because when you think about where, where people go, what schools, right, and opportunities yeah. <laughs> people have, it often starts in those colleges. And so being able to have people like ourselves have access to those same resources and be able to mm-hmm. then have access to certain spaces, right? You can then begin to really, you know, hopefully, right? That's the hope and the vision, right? Right. To then change what leadership looks like, right? And and mm-hmm. I think it was just it was just an incredibly special um, program. Cielo, do you want to talk about what your experience was like in that program? Yeah. So. Ah. Huh. <laughs> Yeah, Lita,
0: I mean, it was so far, you know, so long ago, um, but I remember feeling chosen mm. um, when I was accepted into Lita. No one knew that I was applying, like my family. I've always done things on the low. And then I just like, when I get something or I win something or I'm accepted to something, then I tell people, oh yeah, by the way, I applied to this and look like how great it is, you know? So um, I remember being so happy my mom was walking out of our our apartment in Queens and um and I got the the mail and I opened it and it said accepted. And I was like, mama, I got into this program. She's like, what? I'm like, I got into this program that's going to help me get into college. She's like, wow. And I was like trying to explain to her <laughs> I was screaming to her. Like she was on the first floor. I was like on the second floor. I was trying to scream to her, um, explain this whole thing to her. She's like, okay, okay. Me cuentas después, you know, like tell me later. And I was like, okay, okay. And I was just so happy. And the whole experience really did change my life because they hand helped me. I mean, they really helped our hands through the mm-hmm. whole application process. They gave us all the resources that we needed that I didn't know that I needed. Yeah. And even though sometimes, honestly, I was one of the students who procrastinated because I'm still <laughs> the same way <laughs> with my essays and with my studying and everything, like, you know, um, I'm so grateful to them um, because they were definitely certain people at Lita who um, really made me feel safe and really made me feel like even if I gave them a hard time that they would be there and that they really cared for me. And I think that that is what is so special about Lita. They just made me feel like you can do it Mm -hmm. and we're going to be here to support you.
1: No, I feel I feel the same way. And I feel like so many opportunities I've had is because of Lita. I want to go back to when you were working You had moved back to New York from Mm -hmm. um, California, take us back to that time and these dreams you were having.
0: (laughs) Yeah, um, I've always been a dreamer. That's, I think, one of the things that uh, most entrepreneurs have in common, that they're dreamers. and I had big dreams ever since I was little, growing up, through high school, through Lita. And of course, those dreams change and that's okay. But the, the point is having those dreams and thinking that you can achieve them, you know, whatever they may be. Um, of course, Lita shaped that so much because Lita was like, you can change the world and like, you're meant to change the world. And, you know, you have to be, you know, a, a game changer, basically. Mm-hmm. And I believed, I believed them with my soul. Um, I think that if I wouldn't have had that compass of, you know, th- their words, because their words served as a compass for me of like, okay, it doesn't matter what I'm going through, the failures, obstacles or whatever, I'm going to get to the end point. So I'm very grateful to Lita for that. So anyway, I dreamt a lot during college and I suffered a lot to be honest, during college, because I've always struggled with um, inner conflicts within myself. And you know, back in high school, when I was in Leda, I wanted to be an architect. But then when I went to college, I didn't know what I wanted to be. I changed my major like five times. And I was so confused because I couldn't find anything that I liked. And I remember finally taking women's and gender studies classes and falling in love with those classes. But I always describe it as I feel like a veil was lifted from my eyes. And I was finally able to see my place in the world and what an ugly place it was. Mm. And I finally was able to say, you know what, that's not what I want for myself. Like all these things are wrong. So I'm going to go out and change them somehow. And I became very radical for a little bit.
1: So what was so ugly? What did you realize about your world that was ugly? Was there a particular incident? Like, you know, I know sometimes when we come home from college, right? Mm -hmm. You you know, especially after taking certain classes, you're like, oh, this is not okay. You know what I mean? Was there a particular incident that made you think like, okay, this is not okay. And mm. this is actually really bad and ugly. You know, like can you can you talk about that? What was so ugly?
0: Yeah. Um I, I don't recall if there's like a specific thing that happened, but I remember the ideas that I started learning that mm made me feel like it was an ugly place. For example, when it came around marriage, like the concept of marriage and the concept of why do women wear a white dress? Like, where does that tradition come from? From being pure and virginal and all this stuff. And, you know... I remember back then. Of course, I was in a long-term relationship, and we were talking about getting engaged. And I remember um, saying, "Okay, like you can give me a ring. You can propose to me with a ring, but you also have to wear a ring. Because if I have to show that I'm engaged and I'm taken, then you should also be showing that, like the you know." And he refused, and I was like, "Well, if you're not wearing a ring, then don't give me a ring, you know." And so. These little things, and and I questioned. And I was like, "Well, why? Why do you feel like it's not macho or like manly to like wear a ring? Like, what's the what's the big deal?" Mm-hmm. And you know, it was little things like that. Why the, the white dress, the wearing the ring, the I've always grown up with seeing wedding ceremonies where like the the dad hands the the daughter off to to her fiance, right, soon to be husband. Like, where does that tradition hand you know come from? And it's, of course, like women being treated as property, right? Being handed from one man to another because they can't, God forbid, they're on their own or they own themselves. And so these little things came into, I began to realize them because of classes, because of readings, because of going beyond the readings that I did because my eyes were open. Mm. And so these little discussions um, really showed me that I, you know, people expected me to to be something um, within right within my world. Mm. And I was not okay with that because I'd never known that these expectations were there. I just
1: thought that that's how the world worked. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I love that. I think it's um, for many of us, I know for me, for sure, you know, college was very transformative, but I want <laughs> back to your dream? Because I know I yes. interrupted your dream <laughs> telling um, to ask you about this, you know, this veil that was lifted during this. Yes. So can you take us back to the dream?
0: Yeah. yeah, of course. So I was definitely a dreamer and through <laughs> and through college, I also dreamt a lot, but I just didn't know what I wanted to do. I found women's and gender studies. I decided to major in that because um, I, I always just think that my personality just doesn't allow me to do things that I do not like. And mm-hmm. so even though my parents were like, major in economics you know like major in things that you're going you, you can use like what are you going to do with a women's and gender studies like what is that you know and, yeah. and it was a uh, relatively new major and I was like, I don't know, but I can't do something that I don't like. And that's always how I've been. And um, yeah, so I ended up majoring in that. And I didn't know what I was going to do after college, honestly. Um, at that point, and like I said, I was in a long-term relationship. And we decided to move to California. One, because I wanted to be in the movie um, industry. Um, I really wanted to, to change the, the way Latinas were viewed in, in Hollywood. That was kind of like my, my thing, my idea. And then uh, my partner at the time uh, was graduating and and he had a job in California. In a really bad part of California, might I add, like it was a really tiny, small town, like two hours north of L.A. And it was like there was no jobs for me for like, like the whole town was so small that there was like no jobs. What town was this? Bakersfield, California. Oh, my goodness. Uh, (laughs) So I was like, what did I get myself into? Like I was, it was a really bad time, um, both for him and for for me, because, you know, I, I won't go into like his personal details, but he he definitely had a hard time with his job and mm. I couldn't find a job. And so I was fresh out of college, making no money. You know, I was looking, of course, for like things that that would pay decently, but I didn't find anything. So I started looking um, for sales jobs for anything, really. And I found I remember um, not many people know this about me, but I found an at and job and I did sales, door to door sales for like, wow. I want to say, say a month. I, I, I didn't like <laughs> I didn't last, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I want to say for a month, maybe. I don't think I really don't think I lasted more than a month, but tops, I would say three months. Um, but that's very optimistic. So I I did door-to-door sales for A.T.N.C. And I was actually good at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually got sales and people were hating on me because they were like, oh, she's a newcomer. It's just because of she's a girl and the way she looks. Like people open the door and people are... So they were being sexist, mm-hmm. um, especially the guys who did, you know, sales a lot. Yeah, that didn't last. I ended up finding, um, working for a tutoring center um, that helped Latino kids in Bakersfield, like, you know, getting an education and all of that stuff. So eventually moved on to that and then eventually moved out of Bakersfield. Um, So, I, we moved to LA and in LA, I found more administrative jobs. So I worked for a company um, doing administrative stuff. But again, I was so, so, so unhappy. Um, again, it's come comes back to the dream thing, right? I was like, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And all this while I want to mention that um, my parents had friends that needed help with the college admissions process. And I found, you know, whoever I worked with was like, oh, my daughter, they're usually Latina ladies, like my daughter's going to apply to College, but she doesn't know what to do. I was like, oh, well, I can help her if you want, you know, I'll talk to her. And so I would meet with random kids on the phone or, or on, you know, pe- go to people's houses and just help them, like for no pay or anything. I would just help them write their essays. I would edit their essays. I would just say, say like, okay, these are the things I have to do. I would read up on it. And so the whole college process was there um, throughout that time. Uh, of course, I didn't know that where it would be, but it's funny. I think I've mentioned this maybe to you, Yaka, before that the whole wanting to, um, do something with the college admissions process was a dream that I actually had since my senior year of high school. Mm. And senior year of high school, because of Lita, again, coming back, come back to Lita, <laughs> um, Lita was so amazing and transformative, as you said, that I told myself, I remember one day sitting down in uh, my homegrown classroom, I want to say. It was like maybe December and I was done with the college admissions process because the essays were turned in, like my applications were turned in. I applied to everything regular. And so, but I was done. And I remember looking around and my classmates were still like, what do I write my essay about? What colleges do I apply to? You know, like I haven't done this. I haven't done that. And I just felt bad because here I was, you know, privileged to have this program that was helping me with everything. And I was done. And I was like, there is no way that these kids like they were smart. They were smart kids, you know, like they had different abilities, different skills. And like there was just no way. Like I I always questioned, like, why are they not where I am? Mm-hmm. you know is it it like the inequality was so vivid and I was like no one day like I have to come back and like change this and I have to find a way to make a version of LIDA but that it's open to everyone because LIDA is very competitive yeah and it's amazing with what it does but it's also for first students who are high achievers and who have some kind of like leadership skills within them mm-hmm. so so I wanted to do a version um that would one day you know kind of revolutionized that the college access. So that was a dream since I was a, a senior in high school that I'm, I guess, seeing through today
1: with Roti Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's amazing. We have these moments of inspiration and it can right. take us such a long time to actually see it come to fruition, right? It's mm-hmm. like... You Know, I even think about even starting this podcast, right? I remember right. at one time, you know, telling my dad, like, I loved what, what I do, which is fundraising. And for a long time, I felt like that was my passion. And in some mm-hmm. ways, it still is my passion. But I remember at one point feeling like, I want to find my purpose. Like, right. I remember thinking, I don't know my purpose. And I remember right. talking to my dad, and he was just like, Just keep working on yourself and your purpose will reveal itself. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, I was already living it in a particular um, version, right? I was living Mm -hmm. in the sense that it was like a connector. Like, that's what I love. I feel like there's so much can be done by just connecting with one another, right? Mm -hmm. And I was doing that as fundraising, right? But like now this platform was like, now I feel like I'm truly living this, um, this purpose. It's unfolding every day. Um, and so I don't want to necessarily say what it is, because I think it's a it's a personal thing. It's not something that necessarily needs to be said out loud, right? It's, right? it's for you to know and feel in your soul. And when you find it, you know, it's amazing.
0: You have such a wise dad. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep working on yourself and your purpose will reveal itself yeah, to you. That's amazing. Yeah. I think that a lot of people not only don't allow themselves to be open to change, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of fear that comes from change and there's a lot of fear um, about leaving your comfort zone. Right. And I don't blame them. It's super, super scary to do something else to take something new, take on something new. And I do have to say that, you know, one of the, I I've never had a lot of close friends. Like that's something that that's just not me. Um, I guess I've always been very introverted. And I always try to talk about this because I feel like there have to be tons of people who are like me, who, you know, don't have close friends and and have never really grown up with a best friend. Like I always say my best friend is my sister, you know? And so I try to share my perspective so that they can hear it if, if someone relates to this. So I've never had people who check me, right? Who like tell me, no, this is not good for you. I've never had someone that I can go to for that. I've always just kind of checked myself. And my parents have always been the kinds of people who are like you're changing your mind too much you know you got to mm. stick to something like you have to get a nine-to-five um you have to be you have to have a secure um job you know that gives you a paycheck like every week or whatever every two weeks so you know that gives you benefits that gives you this like it's they've always pushed me mm. to go the safe route and if we know anything about entrepreneurship it's that it's not safe <laughs> Is that it's very risky. It, it it entails a ton of risk and faith, um, <laughs> and faith. Yes, and and that has always been me. And so I've always constantly had to fight against my parents. I've had to constantly fight against anyone who would try to discourage me from following my dreams. And. That's been a constant struggle and I call them out on it. It's not like I just let my parents slide on it either because I feel like their their perspective is very conservative. It's very about how how they grew up and what they think the world is about. And, you know, I have news for you, the, the world has changed. And so I try to confront them on that end also because of my siblings i have younger siblings who are one is nine years younger and one is 11 years younger than i Mm. and you know i i try to make sure that my parents know that they cannot they must not treat them the way they treated me when it came to my dreams because it really took me a long time to heal and in some ways i'm still healing from from the discouragement you know And, and from the words words are really really damaging they can be very damaging, and. Again, because I didn't have close friends, it really took a toll to just take that in and have to somehow stand up for myself against them, but also stand up for myself and encourage myself to continue going. And so, for example, when I, when I won the David Prize, uh, they were super proud of me. Of course, they were very happy. My mom, like she some tears and all this stuff. It, it was their first validation mm. of all the years, that I had been doing this work, you know, and that they finally understood, hey, was actually doing something good. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> she's not like, she's not off doing her own thing. Like they were worried about me for so many years. And it was only when I won the David Prize that I feel that they actually got the validation that like, hey, she is on a good path, you know? And it sucks in a way that it took so long and that it took outside validation mm-hmm. for them to believe in me.
1: Yeah. yeah, And so
0: I pointed it out to them. Even when we were eating like Chinese food and celebrating, like I said, hey, so so what about you not believing? Like they told me you should stop. You should stop road to uni, you know, like maybe a year prior or something. Like stop road to uni, maybe do it on the side, you know, but get a real job you know? And I was like, no, like this is, Road to Union is going to take me to great places. Like I know that I I have faith that this is going to grow. And I remember my dad saying like, no, (laughs) you know, just like, you really think you're going to do this forever? And I'm like, I'm going to do it until it's huge. Mm. And so I, I confronted them and I said, I'm so glad that you guys are happy, but do you see how your discouragement did not help me win this prize? You know, it was me going against what you guys were telling me for years that led me to win this prize, Mm -hmm. even though in other ways they supported me and they're very supportive parents, like when they have to be, you know, and, and. When I ask them for something, they have been super, super supportive. So it's like a very conflicting thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe other people go through the same thing. I'm not sure. But parents can be so supportive in some ways and so discouraging in other ways when, yeah. when it's something that they don't know anything about. So there's a lot of like baggage there um, when it comes to dreams and parents and, and who to listen to, basically.
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much for opening up about that because I think (laughs) so many people, you know, I have had my moments, right, in other Mm -hmm. ways um, where, you know, our parents' fears really hold us back, you know, and like being able to really um, separate yourself from those fears, right? And I think usually they come from a place of, um, good intention, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because mm-hmm. you know, they they see how much they have struggled, you know, to to give you opportunities or to make, you know, they just don't want you to necessarily have the same challenges. But at the same time, right. because they've had certain challenges, they can't dream the same way we can dream. You just have like this really strong sense of self, despite everything you've been through, despite you know, just like. You know, things not working out. You changing all the time. You seem to still be able to persevere, regardless of who is around you, supporting you. Where, where do, you, where does that come from? <laughs> I
0: wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, I've, I people have asked me this question uh, when I, when they get to know my story, because. Mm to be honest, because I'm so quiet and introverted. Sometimes I come off standoffish and I got that, but I, there has been a lot of pain in my journey. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I think that I can only associate it with, um, like I have a certain kind of strength, I think, that I developed when I was very young. And it was because I went through a very traumatic experience. And that experience was that when I was nine years old, my mom almost passed away. And my sister was taken away by New York, New York State. Because she was a newborn and my mom was in the ICU. She was ready to, to basically die, right? And I was nine years old. And so usually they don't let nine-year-olds nine year um, into the ICU. Uh, but they did allow me to go in because my mom was so far off that she was about to die. So I was able to basically go in and say goodbye. Mm-hmm. and my mom had like a 108 fever for days like it was just really bad so she was already like swollen like how people get swollen when they're about to pass away mm-hmm. and, and I remember seeing her and I remember to this day like walking into that little hospital room in in the ICU and seeing my mom and she looked like one of those uh helium balloons that um you know, like they're a superhero or, or or a doll or whatever that it's made into a, a balloon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She, looked, she looked like that, and I did not recognize my mom. And I and, and miraculously, my mom is still alive. Miraculously, she um she got better. It, she was hospitalized uh, for a while, but she got better. She got out of the hospital. We got my sister back and everything. But during that time, um, I remember seeing my dad cry because he was working at a job that made him, paid him less than $200 a week, I believe. You know, my sister taken away, my mom was dying, we were in a new country, he had me, I was going to school. And things got better. I mean, now, you know, it's a whole different world for, for all of us. But in that moment, I learned to... I think maybe based on my personality too, but maybe other people with different personalities would have crumbled. But what I did was I built a wall around myself Mm -hmm. and I said, you know, none of their emotions are going to get to me. I have to be like the strong one. And so none of like their tears cannot matter, you know, their words cannot matter. Like the fact that the doctors are saying my mom is going to die cannot matter. You know, right. the fact that my sister is not here cannot matter because if I let it matter, then I will crumble. And so right. I became like, I, I just, I just built a wall around me. And so I became very, um, detached mm-hmm. from all of it I'm very detached from my parents very detached from my siblings I and, and that's why I say like there's a lot of like pain you know mm-hmm. and suffering that I went through but I chose to be strong and so my way of being strong was detachment. Yeah. And and so I struggled for many years with like how to show love, with um, saying I love you to, to people that I cared and all this stuff. But even though that was a struggle, it also helped me to not ever care about what, pe- what other people thought about mm. what I was doing with my life, about the career that I chose, about what I... You know, my parents even, right? Like what, like their words, like they could they could hit me and they could hurt, but there was that wall. So mm-hmm. it never got through. Like I was able to still continue to walk on and, and continue my own path because I felt so abandoned and so alone at such a young age that... I always had my wall, <laughs> yeah. so it protected me, and I get—I guess—carried on into adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, so it comes from from that place, you know, which I've turned, of course, into into relentless and persistence, Yeah.
1: relentlessness and persistence. <laughs> wow! Oh my God, Cielo, I'm like tearing up right now. Like this, <laughs> thank you, thank you so much for opening up um, about yeah, that course. because moments like that, you know, and times, those periods in our lives, right, especially mm-hmm. when we're young, right can be so profound, right, Right. in developing who we are, right, Mm -hmm. and, you know, and becoming aware of those moments can help us move on in a different way, right, it's like now you Mm -hmm. have that strength, but Mm -hmm. you don't, you no longer need those walls to have that strength, you've mentioned now that you are um, healing, right, so how are you healing and also how are you surviving in a new way i'm just curious to know what's your journey with that as well
0: yeah yeah no it's a great question so i've definitely done a lot of work on myself over the years uh it took me many years to realize that i had the wall i mm-hmm. didn't know um and of course that uh i i saw that in in how i related to the relationships that i had whether you know it was a relationship um with my sister or with my mom or with my brother, my dad, like family, but also uh, romantic relationships, mm-hmm. right? Started just thinking. If there's one thing that I do really well is think. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can be on my bed and, and lying down and thinking for hours. And I started writing, And I started doing all these things that allowed me to be introspective and question things. And so I started reading self-help books. I started reading about other people's journeys and I related to a lot of it. And I was like, and they, because they had already done the work, I was like, oh, so they're relating this, you know, however they were in this part of their journey to, Mm -hmm. to this root cause. And then that made me understand and, and think about my own experience. And it's like. I relate to that feeling. So what was my root cause, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that work took years. I mean, I'm now 30, right? And that happened when I was nine. And people along the way have helped as well. You know, the person that I'm with right now, um, my partner, um, he jokes that he's he's climbing, he's climbing up that <laughs> wall, <laughs> which I don't blame him for. I mean, it's funny. It's a funny joke, but uh, it's true. And sometimes I give him a hard time, you know, because I have like... Still, I, I don't, I think it's, it's a, it, it, it's going to, it's going to take him my whole life to really like work things out. But when you have people around you that don't give up, it helps, you know? And so he's very understanding, very patient, very like he, he, if one, there's one thing that I love that I think should be implemented into all relationships that whenever we argue or, you know, have those bad moments, he's like, okay, let's talk about it. Like, let's let's talk about this. Tell me what's really bothering. And I'm like, no, I don't want to talk, you know, because I close up. Right. And he's like, no, let's talk about it. I want to talk. I'm not going to move until we talk about it. And there's not a lot of people like that because people usually are like, okay, forget it. And they each go off, you know, to their own side. So. That really has helped me, okay, you know, like I will give in and I'll be like, okay, this bothered me for this reason. Um, this is what I I felt like you meant when you said this. And he's like, no, you see, like, I did not mean that. This is what I meant. And so we talk about it. And so because of that, I've realized that talking is so helpful. And mm-hmm. so I've been trying to to share how I feel more with other people who matter in my life. With my sister, you know, for example, my mom got sick right after giving birth to my sister mm-hmm. and it was because my sister as a newborn baby um it all started with like a kick so she kicked my mom's breast mm-hmm. and my mom developed a bump and we thought it was breast cancer but the doctor said it wasn't breast cancer and so that led to everything else my mom now lives
1: with disability as a newborn she kicked as a newborn
0: yeah yeah
1: oh wow that was a strong <clears throat>
0: kick yeah i guess so right but <laughs> Yes. She, yeah. So she gave her mom like a, a little a little kick in the breast. It became a bump. And then from that bump, every you know, the rest is history. Right. And so my nine year old self blamed my sister for a long time that my mom had gotten sick uh, because of her kick. Right. But of course, she was a newborn baby and, and it was in no way her fault. But if, for example, it took me years to to um, to be able to tell my sister that, to be able to tell her that I blamed her for a long time, um, but that I no longer blamed her because I understood that it wasn't her fault, you know, and so I got close to my sister in that way. And so in different ways, I um, have chosen mm. to... And learned to talk about what I feel, which was something I never had growing up because everyone was dealing with their own problems and and there was so much pain and damage coming, you know, onto our being afflicted upon my family.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so talking. I like to ask all of my guests, um, what's mm-hmm. their practice of self? In many ways, this podcast is about exploring ourselves, right? right. And understanding our infinite capacity to transform, to change, and create the world mm-hmm. that we want to see, right? But mm-hmm. part of that requires introspection. Is talking your practice of self? The practice of talking to someone else is what I believe
0: is the thing that I have to work on. Mm-hmm. Like, because that leads to relationship building, that leads to like being happier in life, you know? Yeah. And I didn't realize that. Like, it's, it's always been a solo act for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not realizing like, hey, having friends is okay. Like you can trust people, you know? But again, the trust issues come from like, from that trauma that I had as a young kid. And, and it's taken me a while and it's very much something that I have to practice still, but um, the process is first thinking and then talking about it.
1: Okay. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. All of this, of course, have been part of your you know, entrepreneur journey, right? Can you talk now about a highlight of of that journey for you? The most recent highlight
0: I would obviously be, you know, winning the David Prize. That's like the the biggest thing that has happened to me in a while. Hmm. I remember, you know, in high school winning the Gates Millennium Scholarship, for example. That yeah. You know would mean that I would graduate without debt um, that was amazing like that was huge and I remember feeling so blessed and I got a very similar feeling when I got the David Prize because it meant that I could use that money to to take my dream to new heights and because it was an individual prize, I could use it in whatever way I wanted so if I wanted to focus more on something that didn't pay me, right? Because it, the nonprofit doesn't pay me right now. We, we need fundraising, you know, like we're still yeah, in the yeah. beginning stages of creating, um, when I want to say we, I mean, I, but,
1: you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, to say I'm the same way. Whenever I talk about this podcast, I'm like, we, what is really <laughs> me, myself and I. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but big
0: so, vision, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So you know, nonprofit like doesn't pay me. I still have like my side business, uh, which is the essay writing. But if I, you know, I have begun to let that go a little bit because I want to focus so much on building road to uni that the price allowed me that freedom. You know, to kind of have something to fall back on mm-hmm. um, and not worry so much for for a little bit of time, right? Maybe a year or two aside from it validating it for my parents, it also validated it for me. You know, there were many times during my journey that I questioned whether I was right in doing this because again, people's people's words get to you. And there were many times when I cried myself to sleep saying, you know, what am I doing? Like, why don't I get a job, you know? like a regular job where I could depend on someone to pay me. Like sometimes it was hard meeting, you know, bills, like, and so um, the David Prize validated my idea mm-hmm. and my vision in a way that, of course, no one else has been able to because it was so public, right? It was done in such a public way. And from that, I've gotten amazing mentors. From that, I've gotten amazing support. And people who are like literally behind me, not only saying, yes, you can do it, but Telling me, hey, what do you need me to do to help you achieve it? And that is just much more than I ever imagined I would get yeah. for Road to Uni. And I remember, for example, writing to people to like press, you know, in the media and like different outlets saying, hi, like this is what I'm doing. I'm helping students in this, this way, and that is there any way that you could write about us or you could write about what we're doing, what I'm trying to achieve? And like, no one would like respond or if they responded and be like, yeah, no, you know? And like, for example, the press from the David Prize is so huge. You know, it's like suddenly doors opened that hadn't been opened before. So I want to say that that prize was definitely a huge highlight in my life. I mean, it came at 29 years old yeah. and it was just like, I never... I never imagined that it would take almost, you know, eight, almost ten years to to get to a point where where I would be validated and 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 pushed to continue mm-hmm. achieving achieving that dream because as I said, I was discouraged very many times <laughs> by people that were very close to me. Um and and yeah, you know, so so
1: that was definitely a, a huge highlight. It was a proud moment for all of us, right? I think when you see yeah. People, you know, especially people you've known since you were, a, I would say, a kid. <laughs> you yeah. Know I mean? yeah, you're a kid. Um, and then now they're doing amazing things. Right. And getting internal mm-hmm. validation. You're like, wow, that's amazing. Right. Yeah. I want you to talk a little bit more about David Price, um, because for listeners who don't know what this prize is, um, can you yes. can you explain what it is?
0: Of course. Um, it's a life changing prize. <laughs> it is um so the David Prize uh, was founded, as you mentioned in the beginning, to help New Yorkers who are making a change in their city. They um they, they call it a prize for visionaries, right? Mm-hmm. For someone who has a vision to make New York better and greater. This prize is a monetary price, it is an individual price. And what that means is that the money that you win, it's two hundred thousand dollars and it goes to you. So it goes to your pocket. Kinda like in, you know, when you're applying to college and stuff, there's some For example, some scholarships that go straight to your institution, right, that you cannot touch and you can only apply, like your institution applies it to their fees and stuff. But then there's scholarships that are pocket money scholarships, right, that goes straight into your pocket because it's a check written out to you. In the same way, David Price is a pocket money scholarship. Basically, Um, the check is written out to you. You can do whatever you want with it if that means getting yourself out of college debt. Um, if, you know, paying hospital bills, if that means paying your rent or just allowing you, it helps you to, it helps and allows you to continue to do the work that you are already doing, Mm. um, but also helps you with, with support. Like the, everyone at the David Price, the whole team is so helpful with making connections and telling you about opportunities and even the little things, even, you know, helping you, you know, choose the colors for your website or whatever, literally anything that I need help with, they'll either help me with it directly, or they'll connect me with someone who can help me. It is just such, uh, you know, powerhouse of support for early, early stage entrepreneurs who are just starting, but who have amazing, amazing ideas. And like the other, other four winners, because there are five winners in total, mm-hmm. um, totaling the whole prize to a million dollars. So the other four winners um, are people who are also making a change in the city, but in, in different ways, in different fields, right? And so you also get to know them and the work that they're doing. The price is funded by a billionaire named David Walentos. And we actually had dinner with him and I got to sit right next to him. Um, And it was really, really cool Um, during... Like David, uh, David Volantas uh, really, for example, really believed and wrote to uni. I remember my last in-person interviews, there were people present in the room. And one of those people was the billionaire himself. <laughs> and it was so nerve wracking. I only had 30 minutes. Um, I, you know, had practiced. Of course, I, I did my my slideshow and I had my cards in front of me. And I had my shaky voice, but confident at the same time. And I went through my whole spiel, telling my story and sharing my idea. And um, they asked questions about money, about funds, about, you know, my plans, strategy. And David got to share with me that college had been such an important part of his journey. Mm. Because when he applied to college, he didn't know where to go. And he had no idea how to apply. And he just kind of chose colleges randomly. And he ended up going to the University of Virginia, if I'm not mistaken, um, um. And uh, that changed his life forever, you know, and it make, made him the it basically opened the doors for him to become the, the billionaire that he is now. And so college is so important to him. And I remember his son was the one who told the winners that we had won over Zoom. And I remember him saying, you know, in 46 years, I've never seen my dad cry. And that was because during my my interview, my final interview, he did, you know, he shed a few tears and he got choked up by my story. And I just remember telling him like, David, I'm going to do this for you, you know, like, <laughs> because it, it just meant so much to him. And I just felt so connected, you know. Um, and so... It is such a personal thing. I think the David Price—they've done a, a great job of like making you feel like family, making you feel like you're part of something bigger, but also something very intimate. Mm. And it's—it's um, it's a prize like no other, just because of the support. Again, Lita is like no other because of the 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 kind of support that they offer and in the same way you know david price has an amazing amazing support team and so for anyone who is in, lives in new york city or works in new york city like if you want to apply the application is completely free um and they do a great job of uh, supporting even the people who don't win um in various ways like the, the finalists i think they were a group of 20 ish finalists mm-hmm. before the five were chosen and even them like they they support them in amazing ways so
1: yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. I want you to share the story of how you celebrated because you posted a very <laughs> touching um, caption.
0: Yeah, you know it's funny because I actually had to had to look up the name of the noodles. Mm. I think it's chow fun because I never knew. I just saw my dad order it. Yeah. And so, so what happened? So the way we celebrated is that, of course, my dad was there, my mom was there, my sister was there. I think my brother was off in college. So my dad ordered Chinese food. (laughs) And for a lot of people, you know, it's like, hey, like, why don't you get, you know, fancier food? But it meant a lot for us to celebrate around Chinese food, especially a specific um, plate, which I believe is called chow fun. And this is the type of noodle that I've always loved growing up. And the reason is because when I was nine, 10 years old, um, again, my dad was making Less than two hundred dollars a week. Uh, my mom was sick, you know my sister was newborn, and my dad had to often pick me up from school, um, and then we would go visit my mom in the hospital, right sometimes or where if he had a job, for example, on the week and he couldn't leave mm-hmm. me alone, I would go with him and so because we didn't have money, um, it, was, it was always either getting a, a dollar a dollar pizza. one dollar pizza so it's either a slice of pizza that costs a dollar or this other little like container we were like around chinatown Mm -hmm. this container of chow fun and it costs a dollar as well but it was like really packed and i loved it you know it was like really like it was a good meal in my Mm -hmm. eyes i was like yeah you know like it's a tree for a kid right (laughs) and um And it cost just a dollar. And then I would ask him, can I please have like, I love this other green tea thing that uh, that Chinese store happened to have that I loved? It was so sweet. And so for me, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, like I loved it. And I didn't realize until years later that the reason we ate that is because it only costs a dollar, right? Because my dad couldn't afford anything else. And so, even though I was happy about it, um, I learned the meaning of it later on when I saw I was able to see the financial situation that we were in. And so, for the David Prize, we ordered Chinese food and, of course, chow fun. And uh, my dad and I split one container that he yeah. that he got because it was always him and I, you know, oh. sharing that meal, oh. and we both loved it. <laughs> oh. And it, it, you know, it was in. We used to order like the little tiny container that cost a dollar. This time we ordered I think one that cost like six bucks or something like that. you know the bigger one. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and we split that and uh and everyone else ate like everything else. But it's always been like kind of like this this inner thing between him and I because because my mom was in the hospital, my sister wasn't even born, like my brother wasn't even born, like it's a thing that him and I went through. Yeah, um, yeah. we have like our own little journey, our own little story of the things that, you know. As a kid, I didn't realize um, how hard he had it,
1: but I was still there with him. You know, that's the power of like um, when we achieve something to uh-huh. still remember. Right. Right. The journey, because many ways of eating that food is like reminding you of that journey of where right. you came from, right? And how long right. it took to get to this place, right? Right, so, right. It's, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Yeah.
0: And I remember just, I just want to make a note here that um, I remember my mom, I, I came to their house, right? And uh, I told her, Ma, so she was up on some stool, like a three-step <laughs> stool, like fixing some cabinet thing in the kitchen. And I walked in and I'm like, Ma, gane, right? I won. And she's like, turns on like, Qué? Like, what? you know, it's like, I the David Price. You know, I won the David Price. No, like she got down and she said she started crying. She started hugging me. And then um she was like, todo valió la pena. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what she said to me, those words, which means everything was worth it. Like it was all worth it. Right. So meaning like all the struggles, all the pain, all the, even, even the discouragement, you know, like everything, all the fights around career, all the fights around, um, that I was throwing my life away. (laughs) Um, it was all worth it basically. And, um, I do want to point out that I also get my, my resilience from my parents, right? Mm. I mean, all of us, I think. Um, my mom and my dad have had such a bad time in this country in the from the beginning, you know, just as immigrants um, struggling, but they never uh, gave up and they never went back to their country. It would have been so easy. They had great jobs over there, to be honest with you. Um, but they decided to struggle here because they knew that for their kids, it would mean something better. It would mean a different life. It would mean, you know, a life that no matter how good your job is in a third world country, it would never be the same as here. Yeah. And so I really, yeah, I've grown up watching my dad get up at, you know, 5 a.m. every morning, like the whole time that I was growing up and never complaining, you know, his red shot eyes coming home from work and never complaining, you know? And so all these things that you intake. Little by little, piece by piece, it really builds you up and, and it makes you feel like I cannot give up because they didn't give up. And so what gives me the right kind of thing, you know, and, and in some ways it's problematic. There, there is, you know, definitely we shouldn't feel guilt about what our parents have chosen to do. Mm-hmm. But of course, the other side of that coin is that they teach you
1: resilience and perseverance and it makes you want to push yourself. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I love that. Yes, it does. <laughs> it does. So what is the vision? I
0: want Roti Uni to revolutionize college access in the way that Khan Academy revolutionized tutoring. Mm. And that means to make it free, available, and open, right, and reliable to, Mm -hmm. to every single person who wants to use it. Every student, every parent, every counselor, teacher, whomever, you know. And the whole point is that the college admissions process is just It's a complicated process for no reason, right? And if you're an immigrant coming to this country, if you don't speak English that well, um, if you're first generation, um, you have no idea what to do. And even the people who have parents who have gone to college, their parents don't even know how they did it most of the time. And so they have a hard time helping their kids through this process. And so um, it's it's very... It's Very confusing, and it shouldn't be because you're talking about kids going through this process in their last year of high school, right before they take that step towards adulthood, mm-hmm. towards potentially getting into hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, yeah. which is in- like insane at you know 17 18 years old, and no one tells them a thing like counselors try to help they do but for the for the most part public schools are overcrowded and there are not enough counselors to help every single student in the in the way that it should be done yes so it's um just so important that we make sure that every single student has um, reliable information and has a whole hub of resources that they know they can apply to they know that they can get to and in a place where they can that they can rely on mm-hmm. and also the secret sauce i would say approach uni is that students can again message someone uh, a college advisor you know who has experience um With any question, whether it be about like a technical question about the college admissions process or about advice, because these are the both both these kinds of questions are the questions that I get on Instagram right now and I spend so much time answering questions with uh, for students and giving them advice like literally I send them voice messages Mm -hmm. because it's so much and so they ask me you know I'm I'm debating between this school and that school but that school gives me more aid but this school is more reputable like I'm not sure what to do but this is what my parents want me to do and it's just like every single student has a story has a specific situation Mm -hmm. and their counselor cannot take the time because they do not have the time to answer those questions for every single student they have and so why not have a, a platform that takes care of students the way they should be taken care of because they're just kids Mm -hmm. you know and so that's what i'm trying to build uh, with road to uni or through road to uni um, so that every student can can have that access to what only a few have access to right now whether they're it's because they live in a you know in a wealthy zip code right <laughs> in a zip code where they have amazing schools and and they have a college counselor or many that that take the time to walk students through the whole process or whether you know, it's because their family can pay a private college advisor to walk them through the whole process or whether, you know, their students, for example, like us, right, who happened to have the right scores, the right stats, the right activities, the right attitude and, mm-hmm. and happened to find out about LIDA at the right time that we were lucky enough to get into this college program that helped us through the whole thing. So like, what about the other 90% of students who don't have any of those things, yeah. who also want to succeed who also want to go to college who also want to pick up their families and and you know help out their families and and provide a better future for their families like what about them you know so that's that's those are the students that i'm working for and that's what i hope to accomplish with roti uni to make sure that they are taken care of
1: yeah well thank you that's that's a vision that i wholeheartedly want to support However, (laughs) you know, if it is just about getting you on this podcast and having you sharing your story and people learning more about Road to Reuni, I'm so proud of you for giving back. You know, um, I this morning I was just thinking to myself, like, it's amazing that she's giving back in the way that she received. (laughs) Yeah, that's so So beautiful and so powerful, right? And Mm -hmm. finding ways to give back, right? Um, And pay it forward in your own way, right? Because we've all benefited from opportunities, right? Right. Do you have any like parting words for our listeners? I think everyone has a
0: dream. I would like whoever listens to this, to know that you can achieve that dream. Like there are so many people who say you can't, probably the majority of people you'll talk to will say you can't, or you shouldn't, you know why? Like why leave your comfort zone? Like why leave something that feels so safe already? Just wait a few more years, you know, retire (laughs) and then go do your thing. Right. But by then it's like most of your life has passed you by. And so, My main purpose, I think, aside from Road to Uni, is to let people know that they can do it. And it will take hard work and it will take breaking off relationships with family, with friends, with, you know, people who don't support you or don't believe in you, maybe. You know, it will take really, really, like hours of your days um and it will take bad sleep like you won't be able to sleep some nights and, and and sometimes you'll cry yourself to sleep and sometimes you just want you'll want to give up and you'll question yourself to you know as to whether you're doing the right thing but if you really want to achieve some kind of greatness in your life and the greatness doesn't mean that you have to change the world greatness doesn't mean that you have to like impact millions of people it could just be you know something that means the world to you because we're we're all our own world Mm -hmm. and so if there's something you want to achieve like I just wish that people knew that they can do it Mm -hmm. and what it takes is literally consistency which is hard but consistency and not giving up like no matter like you can take a pause a pause is fine like you can you can go cry you know eat ice cream (laughs) like like just not do something whatever it is that you're doing for like even a whole week whatever right but as long as you do not give up on yourself the doors will open you know it, it took me so many years to be validated, like out to have some kind of outside validation as to what I was doing was 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 good, was useful, was meaningful, and, and that I had a great idea. Um, you know, not everyone will get that kind of outside validation, but you will get what you need. Mm-hmm. Like, I really feel that the universe always provides what you need to keep going as long as you believe in yourself. Yeah. So I just wish I saw more people go after their dreams because... Those are the dreams that are going to change the world in, in little ways and in big ways. So, um, yeah, just that, you know, just believe in yourself, keep going. And and if anyone has any questions, they can always reach out to me <laughs> um, on Instagram. People have have DM'd me on Instagram at social entrepreneur and they tell me their stories and I reply to them and I try to encourage them because mm-hmm. I really feel that we need that little piece from everyone to make the whole
1: puzzle complete. You know? Yes. Yes. And so, on that note, where can our listeners find you? Where can they support you? How can they support you?
0: <laughs> yes. Okay. So, uh, on a personal level, my I have an Instagram account. It's social entrepreneur. It has the underscore thingy before the social, in between the two words, and after the entrepreneur. Um, so, social entrepreneur. You'll see there. Winner at. The David Price, so that's me. Um, and then on for as for Road to uni, uh, I have an Instagram account where which is the platform that this whole thing was built on. It's it's at Road to uni, again, underscores between the words. And um, we have a website, uh, road to We are working on a 2.0 version right now, but we do have a 1.0 version right now. And, um, if you would like to give any sort of donation, um, I, I, and I really literally mean like any sort of donation, like even a dollar, um, you can go on that website, roadtouni.org and all the way on the bottom, you can make a donation there. It's those donations right now are going towards helping us, um, revamp the whole website. Because there are things that I haven't even spoken about to anyone that are gonna just revolutionize college access that we're working on, and um and yeah, if if you want, if you're a, a you know some kind of like professional, like you have a profession that you would like to share, I do takeovers on Instagram in order to um bring more awareness of different. Things, different, different stories, different kinds of successes to students. So if you at all want to, um, kind of like talk about your career, talk about your journey, your life, please reach out to me. You can also do so through the website at roadtouni.org. Um, if you want to volunteer in some way with, to help me with organizational things <laughs> or something like that, you know, um, I'm taking volunteers. Um, yeah, it, I just, if you want to reach out and just say, you know, anything at all, please do so through the website. Um, I'm open to anything and everything, whether it be advice, whether it be encouragement, whether it be just, you know, I really believe in to Uni. That helps too, like even words, um I run. I feel like I run on words because students are always telling me, you know, thank you so much for this. Thank you so much for building Road to uni. Thank you so much, like, for your posts and all this stuff. And that is that is my fuel. So yeah. even if it's just to say that, then I would really appreciate that
1: yeah well thank you I will definitely put um, your your contact info in our um, show notes um, I just want to thank you again Cielo so much for making time today to speak with me and to connect Chorus. it's again it's it's it feels like a full circle right, right. and it, it fills me with so much pride to know that I know <laughs> you and know you from way back when yeah <laughs> Um, And um, and I'm so, so proud of you, the work you're doing, the impact you're making. And I hope that you continue to share your story because I'm confident that it will inspire other people to keep moving forward. Yes.
0: Thank you so much, Yelka. Um, thank you so much for inviting me and doing this because I really did feel that in talking to you, I, um, I explored myself a little bit more. Sometimes I'm too busy to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was definitely healing in a lot of ways to just be able to share this with with you, who I know
1: cares. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> thank you. When I
0: was especially diagnosed with fibromyalgia, which, you know, is not great. so much about. Oh, Thank
1: you I for listening really like to that. this episode of Kuma Turning Point Diaries. If you like our show, please leave us a five star rating and review. And don't forget to share with your loved ones. Also, in order to get notified of any of our latest episodes, Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow us on our socials at Turning Point Diaries. DRC Jaye is the technical director of this episode. This episode was produced by Kume House and the AMBC. My name is Yonka Kamara. I'm the creator and host of the podcast. Kume, until next time. Film music by Exile Dynamics featuring more box.